Welcome back to Colossians. Gosh, it's been a long time, hasn't it? I was checking my calendar out. In fact, I can't remember if I was talking to either Erica or my wife, and we we're just thinking about just getting back into the Colossians after Easter and after our church one-year anniversary and all that. And I didn't even remember that we used to have a bumper and stuff. I was like, my gosh, it's been a long time. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 3. What I want to do is actually read chapters 1 and 2, but I'm going to, I'm going to uh, put that in your hands to read. Go back and actually open your Bible, read Colossians chapter 1 and 2, and uh, familiarize, re-familiarize yourself with all that we have covered. I'm actually going to talk about some big things that we have already addressed in this book. But uh, we'll start off this morning by reading chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 together. You got your Bibles out? If you don't have one, there's one down in the middle aisle. You're welcome to use that and have it. Here, let's read together. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we're glad to be here. Even over the hum of this cafeteria, we are glad to be here gathered as your church. We're glad to be here and we sit under your word, ready to receive from you, Holy Spirit, and what you would have for us today. And so, God, help us to open our hearts Help us to open our ears. Lord, we pray that you and your gospel would readily impact us today, that it would change us, that we would see something in these words of Scripture that would help us to incline ourselves, both our hearts, our emotions, our wills, but also the things that we do incline us to you. We pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. And Amen. Well, I do welcome you back to this book of Colossians. You know, Colossians is a book about Jesus. It's about Jesus. The Apostle Paul has written this book to a church and a group of people that he didn't even know. And he was writing to them really through uh, their evangelist, uh, Epaphras, and he was addressing a number of issues, primarily the fact that they were, um, they were being influenced by false teachers who were trying to convince them that, that the Jesus that they had wasn't enough. That their belief in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, that the good news that came to them through this was not enough for them. They didn't need to add to it. They needed to be better, to do better. Specifically, they needed to get circumcised. They needed to have a little more spiritual attitude about themselves, worshiping angels and things of this nature. And so in Colossians, over and over and, and over again, we see Paul addressing this issue by reminding them of who Jesus is. Steve just read the, uh, you know, the, the, the high, lofty view, the... the the, this great view of who Jesus is. Paul takes words like these and he 
over and over again reminds them of, of Jesus and him crucified as the, the answer to all of life's issues, the answer to them, and really the answer refuting what these false teachers were trying to get them to do. I want to take a couple seconds and review the big things that we have talked about in Colossians. There's no way that we can exhaust the, I think, the 13 sermons that I've already preached here in this book. But there's three that I want to pull out because these three are going to come up as we press into chapter three and and finish the book. The first is preeminent. uh, Christ is preeminent. Paul reminds the Colossians that Jesus is preeminent. He's supreme. As you saw the bumper, those those superlative words there that are descriptive of who Jesus is. There's no one that outranks him. There's no one that's better than him. There's no one that is superior to Jesus. And Colossians really gives us three reasons for that. Firstly, uh, Paul reminds us that Jesus is preeminent because he created all things. He's preeminent because he sustains all things by the word of his power. But mostly, Jesus is preeminent because it's his rightful place. He rules over our salvation. He rules over our lives. He rules over the cosmos. It belongs to him. Jesus is preeminent. The second of the predominating uh, predominating themes is this idea of, of union with Christ. And this is a theological idea that's specific to Paul, but we see it sprinkled out through many of the apostles' teaching. And uh, we could talk all day about this idea of union with Christ. But whenever you see the words with Christ, in Christ, Paul is giving us uh, really a, a doctrine that our salvation, our life, that, that our lives are connected, that are, they are interwoven with Jesus. When, when you become a Christian, you get the Holy Spirit, and it's as if Christ's death is, is your death, his life is your life. And all the benefits that Christ gains through his perfect life, death, and resurrection are attributed to you to include your future reign with him. And then thirdly, and this this is the one that I'm going to take some time on because it segues into what we're going to talk about today. It's this idea that that God, God calls you something. In other words, he gives you an identity before he tells you how to behave. Who you are flows into what God would have you do. In other words, in Scripture, doing flows from being. The Bible mentions things about who we are. There's really, you know, if if you want to make the, the Bible a little bit simple, there's things that God points out about us. And then there's things that God tells us to do. In regards to the things that God points out about us, um, God defines us as the people of God in the the Old Testament. uh, The Israelites were called, you know, the covenant people of God. You hear this refrain, I'll be your God, you'll be my people. In the New Testament, the apostles use uh, words like this as they're describing who God has made us to be as we trust in Jesus. Beloved, loved, I'm not an orphan, I'm adopted. I'm grafted into the vine of God's covenant people. Peter uses these these brilliant words, that we are a royal priesthood, that we're a holy nation, a people that weren't a part of God's family, but now now we are. We've been included. Those 
great words. This is God defining who we are. But the Bible also has more exhortations, things that God is specifically telling us to do. When God points out who we are, these are indicatives. And when he tells us what, what we should do based upon who we are, these are imperatives. And I would tell you, all of us in this room are going to lean either way. It, it's just who we are. I'm a doer. I, I, have a, I have problems just sitting down, being. I like, give me something to do. Give me something with my hands. I mean, that's, it's just who, I, I think it's who God made me. But it doesn't mean he doesn't want me to, to, to sit down and be, but I'm a doer. Churches can be, churches can reflect this paradigm as well. Either um, the, the, the side of people who like to do things or the side that just, just recognizes this is who God has made me to be. And if you're a person that, that likes to do things, then you expect that when you come to church, we're going to talk about things that we, we're going to do. Let's go help the homeless. Let's go be merciful to people. Let's find those who uh, are deprived and uh, that need an advocate in terms of social justice. Let's go on a missions trip. Let's go evangelize. Let's, there's something to do. There's things that we should be doing. On the other hand, those of us that, um, that understand the indicative of who God has called us to be, we're more likely to, to, to say, you know what? My salvation is by grace, through faith, not of myself. I couldn't make myself safe if I wanted to. And so you can't put any, you, you're not going to put this guilt trip on me that I got to go do something. God, love, you know, you, you hold a flower up. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. my flower. If I understand the, the, the full grace of God is he loves me. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. So we're going to lean either. We're going to tilt to either of these ways. What I want you to see is that while both of these perspectives are true, they're actually incomplete without each other. God has called us to be his people. That's an indicative. But there are things in the Bible that God would have us do. And so the things that God would have us do really is what chapter three is all about. But we can't dismiss what God is, what, what Paul is getting ready to say in chapter three from all the things that he's indicated about who God has called us in chapters one and two. And that's why I want you to go back and actually read chapters one and two, to be reminded of, uh, of what Paul has said to the Colossian church about who they are in Christ. This is why this is important. Doing flows from being. So before you go and execute a command that, that, that Paul or, or God says by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, Honestly, the only way that you'll do that and do it with joy is if you understand who God has made you to be. Your doing flows from your being. And this, folks, is how change and growth in the gospel happens. And so what are the things we're told to do? Two things here in these four verses. The first thing that Paul tells us is that we're to seek things above. Verses 1 and 2, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, verse 2 says, not on things that are on the earth. Verse 1 and verse 2 are actually saying the same thing in different ways. 
Paul says, seek the things that are above where Christ is raised. And then in verse 2, he comes and says, seek, set your minds on, on things that are above. In verse 1, Paul's opening words, uh, if you have been raised with Christ, actually parallels something that he said in chapter 2, verse 20. The beginning of that verse says, if with Christ you died. And really here, Paul is, is emphasizing that our lives in Christ make no sense at all outside of our, our faith in Jesus, outside of our identity in him, our union with him. We are in Christ in his death, and we're with Christ in his resurrection. And then when we get to verse 4, he's going to encourage us that our ultimate destiny, our future is, is actually in Christ in glory, and we will actually appear with him in glory as he consummates his kingdom. And so if we've died with Christ, Paul is insinuating, then we've put off our old self and we're set free from the bondage of our sin. Jesus has freed us from all those things that entangle us. Your thoughts, your will getting in your way, your pride, your lust, all those ways that you sin against God. Christ died. If you're in him through repentance and faith, then he set you free from all those things. And then in this verse, verse one, he's saying, rather, if you've been raised with Christ, you've been raised, you've been set free for or to life in Jesus. You belong to Jesus now and you have your life in him. The last part of this phrase says that Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And this really is an allusion to Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is um, one of the most repeated verses uh, in the New Testament. And it's this, this likening of, of Christ being seated at the right hand of God. And here's the point of, of, of Paul saying all this. He's saying we should want to be where Jesus is. This isn't a, a pie-in-the-sky view. He, when he says, seek the things are above, he's not saying, keep your head in the clouds and, and don't look at the, the, the common things that are happening on the ground because up here is very spiritual, down here is very sinful. He's not saying that. He's, he's encouraging us. He's exhorting us, look up, but look up only from the perspective of this. This is where Christ is. He's seated at the right hand of God. You know, a lot of times we think of this idea of, of you know, of, of heaven, of, of life outside of this world. We call it pie in the sky. But even when you, you think of the imagery that Revelation gives us of, of life beyond, beyond earth, the new heavens and the earth, we think of streets paved with gold. We think of of, of trees that have fruit, that's the healing of the nations. We think of the treasures that we're to have um, when we're with, with Christ in that place. But I would tell you, life in the new heaven and new earth would be valueless to us if Jesus weren't there, because Jesus is our treasure. And so Paul is saying, seek the things that are above. It's not that above, there's like treasures and stuff that, that you're going to get when you... There's rewards in heaven. We don't know what those are, but there's a rewards in heaven. 
But the true reward, seek the things that are above, is Jesus. He's encouraging us to look to Jesus. The second thing that he tells us to do is set our minds on things that are above. Verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. I think it's important to, to say this, that um, we shouldn't impose that, that, that Paul is saying Christ and God are disassociated. They're, they're way out here in the, in the cosmos, and they're disassociated from the, the, the life that we live in the world on the earth. They're, they're not saying, he's not saying that. I like what Sam Storms, Dr. Sam Storms was a pastor, says about this verse in his book, the, um, uh, the Hope of Glory, some meditations on the book of Colossians. Sam Storms says this, Paul's not talking spati- uh, Paul is not talking spatially here when he references seek the things that are above versus the things that are on earth. He's identifying two opposing ethical realms, two antithetical worldviews. He's making a qualitative distinction. One way to view this is that on earth corresponds to the present age that's in rebellion against God. Any one of us that's outside of repentance and trust in Jesus is, is in rebellion against God. Honestly, after we start following Jesus, sometimes we're in rebellion against God, aren't we? He's specifically talking about those that aren't in Christ. He goes on to say, whereas things that are above represent the age to come in which the lordship of Christ will be fully and finally manifest. And so when Paul refers to things that are on the earth, he has in mind the worldly system and the dominion of Satan over every value of every goal, every principle that conflicts with the revelation of God that's in the Bible. Things on earth are Whatever is driven by our pride, our greed, our lust, and a total disregard for the glory of God. And then he juxtaposes this and says, on the other hand, things that are above are whatever reflects the beauty of Christ. And there's no limit to that. And so as we live on this earth, things that would reflect the beauty of Christ are the things that you do every day as you as you have a mind to honor God, but not, not just how you, uh, how you think, but how you live. For a mother with a newborn baby, it could be just feeding that baby. For a young couple, it could be going out with some friends and enjoying um, the bounty of God's good earth, eating some good old cow meat, right? With some veggies on the side. It could be that. It could be sitting out on your porch at night, sipping a couple, you know, a glass of tea, Sweet tea, enjoying the enjoying the, the scenery of your neighbors around you, because that's what that's what God provides for you. Seek the things that are above. What's being discouraged here is that we would have a careless and in, uh, be indifferent towards the world that we live in. Uh, Paul is not saying that education or seeking a career or you know those things that we do on our earth eating food. Those things that are ours to pursue on the earth are bad. He's not discouraging us to be disconnected from all the things that make life work on the earth. He's not calling the earth bad. He's giving us, he's pulling our perspective up. 
Lift up your perspective. Don't, don't live in the world's system that's bound by pride and lust and under the control of Satan. Instead, elevate yourself to, to, where, to where Jesus is, who's seated at the right hand of God. That phrase, as I, if I can go back to it, seated at the right hand of God, it's a, it's a picture of exaltation. When Christ was resurrected, that was the beginning of his exaltation. And so when we see him exalted, seated at God's right hand, is there really a, a, a throne and God and Jesus sit and seated right next to God? Probably not. Again, it's not spatial that Paul is talking about. But it's saying that Jesus, in his exaltation, he's, he's gained the highest authority. There's no one above him. He's gained the victory over sin, hell, death, the grave. He's done it all. And he's done it all in obedience to God the Father. And he's done it all for you. Here's the problem that I, at least that I experienced in my life with this idea of setting my, of seeking the things that are above and setting my mind on the things that are above. It's dang hard to do. It, it is. This is, our, this is my problem, and it's your problem, too. I, I'm not going to say we can't do it, but it's a hard, it was a hard thing to do. Because we're immersed in a world that constantly pulls us down, and, and, and it, there's not hardly anything in our life that encourages us to, to look up and seek the things that are above. You know, I think there's two reasons why we fail a lot of times. The first is we default to what's easy and convenient. I would say it this way. We got lazy hearts, guys. We don't want to, if it's, if it's hard, I got to put some effort to it. Sometimes we just don't want to do it. I'm like that. Um, I'm going to give you one example. This is from my life. All right, so, you know, my Sunday morning ritual, I get up, our alarm goes off at 6 o'clock, and before, before I pull my legs out of it, my wife actually kicks me because our alarms go off at the same time. Hers goes off, goes off a little bit louder. Um, she doesn't get up, but I get up. And she kicks me, she kicks me to make sure I get up. All right, so before, before I even move, I, I'm praying, okay? I'm praying, I'm, I'm, I'm interceding for myself um, because I know what, I, what, what, my, what my job is for the day. Um, and I ask for help. You know, I'm already like, Holy Spirit, I'm a man in need of help. And I got that from Paul Tripp. Send help my way. Don't care how, what form it comes in. Help me that I don't reject. I won't reject it when it comes. And I would tell you, God sent me help before I even got here. Somebody uh, texted me this morning um, something I needed to hear. Um, so I pray that prayer, and then I go. You know, I go into our living room, and I actually pray. I, I enter into prayer for uh, the things that we're going to do today. I study my sermon a little bit. Seek the things that are above. This is this is my problem. You ever gone and you tried, your intent is to pray, to actually seek God, doing something spiritual. And all of a sudden, all these thoughts start coming to your mind. I mean, what thoughts come to your mind when you pray? For me, it's always my calendar. Like, like what's going on tomorrow? I got, you know, I got this in the morning. I got that in the noontime. I got that, that tomorrow night. Um, uh, we're a musical family, so music is always going. So I'm, all, I'm, I'm, either, I'm probably humming whatever the latest tune was. The night before, you heard my son playing violin, and, and my son plays, I, I love him to death, 
Jonathan plays the violin all the time. You all just get a taste of it in here. He's playing all, all, all the time, all the time. And it's classical stuff. And so here's, this is, this is the cool thing about this. My daughter, David, my middle son, we're all humming these things that he's playing. I'm, I'm praying, and I got this classical violin tune just going through my mind. I'm, just, I'm supposed to be engaging with God in prayer. And then, and then this Disney Channel stuff that, that my kids watch will pop into my mind as well. And I got a Disney song. I'm engaging with God, trying to set, set my mind on things above. And I'm bombarded with all of these thoughts about what I'm supposed to be doing and the things... You know, the things that are that just my life are consumed with. That's my problem. Perhaps you have that problem as well. Secondly, I would tell you, this is our problem, you know, primarily because oftentimes we want acceptance and approval from people. And in those opportunities that God would give us in our lives to actually cast aside a worldly opportunity, a worldly view. I'm not going to say what those are. You don't need me to. We would choose to not seek those things above. We would choose to be at the water cooler talking about American Idol or whatever the latest reality TV show is than to tell our friend, you know, what did you do last night? Oh, I went to community group. You know, we, we ate some snacks. We ate food together. We actually opened the Bible and prayed and talked about Jesus. Not that that's bad. Here's the good news. Jesus always set his mind on things above. Jesus said his food was to his food was to do the will of him who sent him. Jesus said that he only did those things that he heard and saw the father do. His mind was always set above and because he set his mind on things above He's able to forgive our failure and enable us by his presence in us to do the same. That's good news for us, folks. And that's the gospel. In all those ways that we fail, Jesus has perfectly done it, especially in this area of seeking those things that are above. So Paul says, if then, the NIV says since. I like the way the NIV Since you have been raised with Christ, we are to seek those things that are above. We are to set our minds on things above, not on the earth. Verse 3 and 4 continue. For you, for you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And these two verses tells us that there's a present, a past, a present, and a future reality to our union with Christ. We see a past reality in verse 1 and verse 3. Verse 1 reminded us that we have been raised with Christ. Verse 3 says, you've died. You have died. And so when, when Christ died, you died. Not a physical death, a spiritual death. When Christ was raised, you were raised. You're a new person. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that you are, you're, you're brand new. God's breathed his Holy Spirit in you. The things that I used to do, I no longer want to do. And that's because of God's work in you by his spirit. The present reality is in verse 3. Paul says this, your life is hidden. This is a unique phrase 
We don't see it anywhere else, at least in the ESV translation, in Scripture. And commentators are, uh, you know, they, they differ as to what this actually means. This is, this is Jeff, Jeff's perspective. Paul is saying that Jesus has given you life. Your, your life is found only in connection with him. That is, the very source of our lives is in Jesus. The reason we're able to set our minds on things above is, is simply that we've died to our old way of thinking. Our lives are hidden with Christ. And then he tucks in this, this, this little two words, in God. It's like, a, it's like we're double hidden in, in Christ. Thirdly, he gives us a future reality. And I, I, like, the, I like the way Paul words this here. In verse 4, he says, When Jesus, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. And uh, this verse could be a sermon all of itself. I think uh, a a few things here. Firstly, this means that life, both physical and spiritual, finds its source in Jesus. That outside of life in Jesus, you're not really living the life that God would intend you. Uh, we're reminded in Colossians 1, 16 and 17. Jesus created the world. He sustains it. He rules over his church. He rules over you. He, he owns it. It belongs to him. Secondly, he's saying Christ, who is our life, will one day appear. The glory and manifest splendor of all that Jesus is will one day be made completely visible. He's going to appear. This is talking about Jesus' second coming. There's going to be a time when the second person of the Trinity, who is, was incarnate, incarnated as a baby, grew up to be a man fully obedient to God, and would go to the cross and die in your place for your sin, resurrect, ascend back into heaven, that he's going to come back. He's going to usher in a resurrection of the living and the dead. This neat, this neat phrase says that as Jesus comes, we will come. We will appear with him. Here's the neat part about this. We exist solely for God's glory. That's what this verse is saying. Our salvation puts us Our our salvation puts God's glory on display. Our lives are meant to show forth the glory of God in the world he created. You were meant to show forth God's glory. that's That's your sole purpose on the earth as a created being in God's world. I've got a few implications. for. Actually, i got one implication, and then we'll be done. Past, present, and future, you are united with Jesus. Your identity is connected to Jesus. Because because of what Jesus did, because of what he did that that you are unable to do, he's made a way for you to do. He says, do this. I'm going to empower you to do this because of what I've already called you to be. Jesus is able to empower you to do the very thing God commands you to do. So really what this is saying is the reason you should set your minds on things above is that you're already there. Jesus has already positioned you in heaven 
with Him. Not physically, but spiritually. You're already raised with Christ. You're already a part of His kingdom. Your life has already been marked by a different kind of structure, a whole different set of values and qualities. And so this is who you are. And so this is what God is telling us through Paul's words. Live what you are. Doing flows from being. He invites you to do only after you understand who he's called you to be. And those are simple words, but this really is the gospel. And this is how change happens in your life. And this is important because all of us want to change. We all want to grow. We all want to be more like Jesus. But the reality is God doesn't just make things happen by osmosis. He doesn't make things happen by magic. While we're saved by grace through faith, while real change happens only through the Holy Spirit, God commands us to apply ourselves, to apply our minds, to apply our wills, to apply our emotions, our emotions even, towards the goal of being like, more like Jesus. God wants us to participate in our sanctification. I think it takes decision, purpose. It takes intention. And this is what Colossians 3 is going to tell us as we get into next week him talking about family matters and how do you work this out in your, with your children and as, as a husband and a wife. How do you work this out in your workplace? And so unless we choose to, think, to seek things above and set our minds on things above, I don't think life, I mean, life won't change for you. Unless you purpose to change, you'll stay where you are. But, but here is why you, should and, why you should and can seek things above. You've died with Christ. You've already been raised with Christ. You're hidden with Christ. You'll soon appear with Him in glory. And so what we'll work on in the next few weeks is, is the how. How do we live out doing what God has already called us? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you don't ask us to do anything that you haven't equipped us to do. We thank you that your word is true, that it's powerful and effective to work in us. We thank you for your gospel. Your gospel says that Jesus is already satisfied everything that God asked him to do. And because we're in him, when God looks on us, he sees the perfection of Jesus. And so help us when we, when we fail. Help us when, we, when, the, when life gets in our way and we choose to not seek those things that are above. Help us also when we're so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. Both of those are, are two extremes you, don't, you would not have us to, to be a part of. And so, Lord God, as we stand in your presence, we ask for change. We ask for the Holy Spirit. We ask for you to come and really make us such that the things that we do flow out of who you've already called us to be. Those are simple words, but complex in their understanding and living it out. Help us to understand it, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said...